Today we're picking up in Luke chapter 12. And uh, as we turn there, let me just prepare you with a a story. Uh, When Mary and I were in high school, we had a lot of fun at the school dances. Like, I don't know if you all went to the dances at your school. I loved them, especially at Mary's school, because it was just a, a laid back time. We could have more fun. I went to kind of a, a country town, and I don't like country music, so I was ready for another change of venue. Uh, but at Mary's school, there was one dance, they had like a 50s sock hop theme, and it was so much fun. I mean, we're all dressed up like we're on the set of Happy Days, and we found a table where we could put our stuff and leave our shoes before we hit the dance floor. And I noticed on the table, there was a pair of glasses, And they looked like Buddy Holly glasses, you know, the really thick-rimmed black frames. And I figured they're just setting out as accessories. We can wear them for the night and just have fun with them. So I put them on and played the part, and we went out and hit the dance floor, began dancing. And one of the teachers, he and his wife were like super into swing dancing. I mean, like competition level. And Mary won't admit it, but I am also an incredible dancer. Uh, I can do the, the chicken dance with the best of them. Uh, but uh, I start moving toward this teacher and his wife, really wanting to see what they're doing, see if I can pick up any dance moves. And the teacher looks over and he notices my glasses and says, I've got a pair just like that. In fact, they're over on the table. And of course, we put it together. I had picked up his glasses and he wasn't mad or anything, but I did feel bad because I had made a mistake. I, I was using something that wasn't mine. It was someone else's, and I had, in fact, misused them. So my question for us this morning is, have you ever mismanaged something? Now, maybe it was your calendar, and you just totally forgot about an appointment. Been there. Uh, maybe it was your finances, and you overdrew on an account. Or maybe it wasn't even something that was yours. You were given something to steward and you didn't use it properly. It doesn't feel good, especially when it's someone else's. That really seems to up the ante. Well, in our text today, remember Jesus is now intentionally moving toward Jerusalem where he knew that he would be tried and tortured and crucified. And he knew that his time was running out on earth that he would soon be handing over the mission and the responsibilities of the kingdom of God to his disciples. So Jesus began a series of teachings with the intent of making sure that his disciples knew what it meant to be managers of the kingdom of God, to make sure that they understood that he would be entrusting them with one of the most important treasures that they could ever be asked to steward. So before we jump into the text, I want to make sure that we all understand what stewardship really is. I think we sometimes throw it around in in church circles, and I want to get to exactly what stewardship is. Stewardship at its core is reflecting the heart and actions of the owner. It's similar to like when a long-term substitute comes in partway through the school year, Uh, They finish out the term, and the door may not say the substitute's name on it, but he or she is carrying out the responsibilities and duties that the teacher would have 
if that teacher was physically present. And the students, they, they truly become the responsibility of the substitute. The, the purposes of the sub, they come into full alignment with the purposes that the teacher had laid out at the beginning of the term. So as we consider what stewardship really is for the follower of Christ, we need to look beyond a checklist. It's not just a bunch of do's and don'ts. We need to look at the purposes laid out by the true owner. We need to examine the heart of the owner and make sure that our actions, our motivations, our words, they are all flowing in alignment with his heart. Because we don't want to just assume that something is ours when it's not. We don't want to mismanage what has been entrusted to us. And just like the disciples, we are kingdom stewards. And the question is, how well are we stewarding? How are we reflecting Jesus' heart and actions? And as I said, this isn't a checklist, but there are a few specific things that Jesus mentions. So I want to briefly consider each one of them as we ask the question, what do we steward? And Jesus points to four things in particular. Uh, First, in Luke 12, verses 1 through 3, we are called to steward the message with integrity. Writing in chapter 12, Luke says, Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands came together so that they were trampling on one another. He began to say to his disciples first, Be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you've said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you've whispered in an ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Now Jesus, he pulled his disciples aside and gave them a warning here. He said, don't become the hypocrites. Don't be like the Pharisees who say one thing and do the opposite. Don't pretend, don't try to play a part. Be consistent. Be people who do what they say, whether others are around or not. I mean, that's the definition of integrity, isn't it? It's being consistent regardless of the circumstances. And sadly, I mean, you know as well as I do, the church has a bad reputation that we are not people of integrity. And what's even sadder to me is that that has been unfortunately true in many cases. Because it's easy to say, thus saith the Lord, but it's entirely different to live according to what the Lord has said. And that's really why Jesus was so upset and angry with the Pharisees. That they may have honored God with their words, but their hearts and their actions were not in alignment. They were not stewarding the message with integrity. And Jesus called his disciples to a higher expectation that they would have a consistency behind the message that they carried. Because remember, a steward is a reflection of the owner. And if we are irresponsible with the message that we've been given, we are communicating to others that God himself cannot be trusted. That's a weighty thing for us to carry. If we are not communicating with integrity, 
we are communicating that God cannot be trusted. So consider, what you post on social media is communicating something about Jesus to everyone who reads it. The, the signs that you put in your yards, they communicate something about Jesus to your neighbors. The texts, phone calls, emails that you send your coworkers, they communicate something about Jesus. And as Jesus said, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. Even the things that you think you said in private will be exposed. So as you consider what you are asked to steward, remember that you're first to steward the message with integrity. Be consistent. Don't be hypocrites. Second, we steward the representation with honesty. Verses 4 through 7, Luke writes, I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the, head, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Now, Jesus reminded his disciples that he was asking them to steward the representation with honesty. And in those verses, you almost feel the whiplash, I think, as you're reading. There's a hard shift because Jesus goes from talking about fearing God because he can throw us in hell to suddenly talking about how we don't need to fear because he loves us more than the birds. And there's this hard shift between the two, but I think that's the point. Because the character of God, it's often muddied when people focus on one characteristic at the expense of the other. And I'm sure you've seen or heard of people or churches who emphasize over and over that God is love, but you never see them talk about his justice. You never see them talk about his hatred of sin. And on the other end, you think of certain groups who only proclaim God's hatred of sin without any mention of his grace or his redemption. And if we are to be good stewards, we need to represent God with honesty. That means that we unashamedly proclaim both his love and his grace and his mercy and his purity and his holiness and his righteousness. If we neglect one or the other, we are not representing him well. We're not representing him with honesty. We're not being good stewards. So be honest. God is loving and God does have an intentional design of righteousness and holiness that he desires for his creation. And Jesus, he continues on in verses 8 through 12. And we see another area that we're called the steward. We have the expectation that Jesus' disciples steward the witness with boldness. And I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. 
Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Now this is spoken specifically in light of persecution, where someone is pressed and tested in their witness for Jesus. And he told his disciples fairly simply, public acknowledgement leads to heavenly acknowledgement. And public denial leads to heavenly denial. And as someone who was entering high school shortly after the Columbine shooting took place, my mind goes to the example of Rachel Scott. She was the student who was famously killed for her faith. And following her death, her parents decided to publish her journals as a way to share their daughter's faith with the world. And in one entry, Rachel wrote, I'm not going to apologize for speaking the name of Jesus. If I have to sacrifice everything, I will. We steward the witness with boldness, no matter the cost. And I wonder if you had to write a list of things that hold you back from being a bold witness, what would those things be? Maybe you're uncertain if it's true, or you have questions about some of the details. Maybe you're afraid of being judged by others. Maybe you're concerned that your life isn't a good representation of Jesus. I understand that all of those can be hurdles, and I've experienced many of them myself, but more than my own inadequacies, I believe that Jesus is the answer. And I believe that what he said and did is true, and it is the only way to salvation. And on top of that, I believe what he said about the Holy Spirit, that he's able to teach us what to say in those moments. So, Instead of being held back by our fear, what if we trusted the Holy Spirit to actually give us the words to say in those moments? What if we stepped out in faith and said, I will be bold. I may not have all of the answers. I may not be a perfect representation, but I'm going to be bold because you've told me to. And I'm going to steward that, the witness with boldness. And just a, a quick side note, you know, sometimes I think we read this passage and we're tempted to focus in on verse 10 about the, the unforgivable sin. And I'll just briefly say, more than likely, this is not something that you need to be concerned about. You know, Jesus is talking about a bold rejection of the Holy Spirit and his ability to save. And for those of us in the room today, this is not something that you're going to accidentally commit. I think that was my fear sometimes growing up, that I would accidentally commit the unforgivable sin and be cast out. That's not what this is talking about. This is a, a declaration, a, a willing, intentional decision to say, God cannot save me. He is not good. However, if this is weighing heavily on your soul, 
please let me know and let's get together and talk. You know, it, it could be that in this concern, the Holy Spirit is prompting something within you, drawing you to himself. But once again, remember that Jesus' disciples, they steward the witness with boldness. So fourth, we steward the resources with generosity. And this section, it covers many smaller teachings and parables and side lessons with the disciples. It goes from verse 13 through the end of the chapter. So instead of going through each part, we're going to do a quick summary of the different resources that Jesus points to. And first is relationships. This is found in verses 13 through 15, if you want to read this on your own. But Jesus first highlights the resource of relationships. And specifically in this instance, there are two brothers who are fighting over an inheritance. And Jesus told them, one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Now, whether you like it or not, we were created for community. If you remember the, the first time God said something was not good, as Tim read earlier, it was when man was alone in the garden. And he gave Eve to be Adam's helper, his partner. And in our home, whenever our kids are tempted to elevate a, a toy or a show or a game over one of their siblings, Mary and I ask them, what is more important, people or things? That's a big question for us. What is more important, people or things? And I think that's the heart of what Jesus was emphasizing here. Be generous with the relationships that we have. Don't turn inward or attempt to value those people into commodities. Cherish them. Bless them. Invest in them. Steward your relationships with generosity. He goes on in verses 16 through 21 to talk about time. Uh, Jesus told a parable here about a rich landowner who was focused on building bigger and better so that he would have a stockpile, be able to retire easily and just kick up his feet and roll in the rest of his days. And in the parable, God took that landowner's life right then. All that he had focused on, the assets, the, the years of enjoyment ahead of him, they vanished in an instant. Have you ever heard the phrase that someone is so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good? You know, I, I think the flip side is just as true and probably more applicable in our society today that we can be so earthly minded that we are of no heavenly good. Now, Jesus was not telling his disciples to live recklessly or to be totally dependent on the provision of others. Instead, he was telling them to steward their time with generosity. Don't just set your eyes on your own needs or your own desires, but use your time in such a way that advances the kingdom. And many of you lived that out this last week. I mean, Sunday was a long, hard day, right? We had the time change, we had worship, and then we had the parade afterwards. And we were exhausted. But that was a way that we stewarded our time for the kingdom. It was a great way for us to love our neighbors. And this Saturday, as we have the, the community cleanup, this is another way 
that we can use our time for the kingdom. If you're like me, your yard might need some serious attention right about now. But this is a way that we can love our neighbors by valuing the needs of others over ourselves and using our time for the kingdom. So Jesus was telling us to use our time for what matters most. The disciples of Jesus steward their time with generosity instead of simply focusing on their own wants and needs. Next, we look at material possessions. This is verses 22 through 34. And similarly, Jesus turned his attention to our material possessions. His disciples, they had walked away from their jobs, their security, their financial provision. And Jesus told them that the Heavenly Father will take care of their needs because he loves them and because he provides for his creation. Now, I know I've shared this before, but it's such a clear illustration in my mind that when we're told to steward our material possessions with generosity, that's like holding out an open hand. And it's saying, God, what I have is yours. And I trust you to provide what I need. And I'm also not claiming that it's mine and I'm going to hold on to it with a closed fist. Because that's our natural temptation to, to hold on to the things that we have with a death grip. You know, squeezing them so tightly that no one can take them away from us. But when we do that, it's removing God from the equation. It's saying, I would rather trust myself than God. And from personal experience, I can say that when I've been generous with the little that I've had, the Lord has not only provided for my needs, but he's also strengthened my faith in the process. He's bolstered my testimony through my dependence on him. It's little things like receiving random checks in the mail that exactly match to the penny a bill that I wasn't sure how we would pay. It's God showing over and over again that he knows our needs and he can provide our needs. So instead of holding that death grip, have an open hand and say, God, you have given it all to me in the first place. And I trust you to provide for me. So it's, it's yours, and I trust you to meet my needs. And finally, we see the, the call to steward the resource of our mission. Uh, disciples of Jesus steward the mission with generosity. Now, Jesus told his disciples to be ready for service at all hours, eager to serve. And I fear that we sometimes fall victim to the idea that our lives are focused on the temporal matters, paying the bills, climbing the career ladder, mowing the lawn. I mean, we, we've somewhere along the line flipped the priorities so that we have come to believe that those things are our mission, that they are our purpose in life. And hear me, those things are not bad but they are not what you were made for. Remember Jesus' last words on earth, go and make disciples. Our mission is to multiply, to expand the kingdom. And that's part of the heart of our overflow groups, that you and I would grow as disciples, that we would reach our neighborhoods, our communities, 
and that we would train up others to multiply new groups so that we can reach new areas where people live, work, and play. So we steward the mission with generosity, and we turn our eyes to the kingdom priorities and invest in them. Now, as I said, stewardship is reflecting the heart and the actions of the owner. And if you really want to key in on the heart of God, let me encourage you to read Luke 15 over and over and over again. In this chapter, Jesus tells three interrelated stories about someone who has lost something that was dearly loved by them. He shares about a shepherd who lost a sheep, a woman who lost a significant portion of her savings, and a father whose sons abandoned him and just wanted his stuff instead of a relationship with him. And through each of these stories, we see the heart of God on display toward the lost because he not only desires their return, but he desperately, he he fervently pursues what was lost. And for us to be kingdom stewards, we need to reflect the heart and actions of God toward the lost. And I want to emphasize one really easy way to do that this week. Next Sunday, we're going to begin a new monthly tradition on the last Sunday of every month where we're going to have Bring a Friend Sunday. This is an easy way for us to invite people and just create the rhythm of constantly asking people, hey, do you want to join me for church this Sunday? Uh, There's a a Lifeway research study I I recently read that shows 35% of unchurched people said that they would come to church if invited. 35%, a little over one out of three people say that they would come to church if invited, even if they're totally unchurched. So my challenge to us, under your chair is a stack of three invite cards. And I'm going to ask all of us to give three invite cards away this week and invite a friend to join us for church next Sunday. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be scary. Just say, hey, I would love to save you a seat next week. Would you come sit with me at church? And it can be as simple as that. But if we're all inviting three, and if statistics prove true, we'll have at least one of them come with us. And we just want to create this rhythm of being bringers, that we are inviters, that we love what the Lord has done within us, and we want to see them experience that same salvation, that restoration, that new life that we have experienced through Jesus. So the last Sunday of every month, we're just going to have Bring a Friend Sunday. Uh, Put it on your calendar. Think of who can I be inviting, and we're going to establish this, this heart, this rhythm of bringing people with us to worship the King who has saved us from our sins. Now, I will say, in addition to the invitation Let's remember that all of us are, mem- are ministers. All of us have been given the good news. So it's not something that we just bring them so that they hear the gospel. Because remember, we steward the message as well. So we communicate the gospel with our words, with our actions, with the way that we live our lives. So let's be a witness. Let's be a bringer. And let's steward what the Lord has given us for his glory. Let's 
take a moment and pray that we would steward that well. Father, I thank you that you are a good God who gives good gifts. We don't deserve any of the gifts that you've given us. This life itself is a gift. These brothers and sisters that you've surrounded us with are a gift. The, the chance to gather in public openly and celebrate you as the risen king, it's a gift. And Father, as we look inward as well, our families, our finances, our time, the mission itself, it's, it's all a gift. And I pray that we would reflect your heart with each of those things, that we wouldn't just receive them and use them without any thought of how you would have used them, but I pray that we would reflect you well and that you would be glorified. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.